Hello, hello. This is Janae Gaither. This is the first episode of Sip on This, and Roger Chong is my co-host. And we are currently inside of this beautiful French-inspired manse and inside of a private room that is super authentic with um, crown moldings and French doors. And outside, I can see beautiful barrel-vaulted ceilings and columns, as well as expansive vineyard views and Sonoma Mountain. Today we are going to talk about all that Chateau St. Jean has to offer. We'll talk about the history of the winery, we'll talk about um, their varietals that they produce, and we'll get into a little bit of wine education too. Also I should say that Chateau St. Jean is less than 60 miles from San Francisco, so it's great for a day trip or just a quick weekend jaunt as well. I want to welcome everybody. My name is Roger Chung, and this is a great day. It's beautiful outside. We had an idea to start this wine podcast because, one, I'm a wine enthusiast, and I live in San Francisco, but I come to Napa Valley and Sonoma Valley regularly, like two to three times a month. I'm not only on a mission to find the most delicious wine in this area, but also to find the most beautiful winery. And so when I come to Napa for wine tasting, really two things happen. The first thing is that I see a lot of first-time visitors to Napa, and they ask a lot of questions about wine tasting. What are they tasting? What are they sniffing? Uh, what are they seeing? How Basically, how to do it. And then secondly, I am always learning new things about wine, and, and it's just so exciting. Wine is complex, but it's not complicated. So I really want this podcast to be educational and informative and be a guide to help people enhance their wine tasting experience. Janae, you're a wine educator. You work at some of the best wineries in Napa. Tell me more about that. And I'm also a food and wine writer. I'm more so a food and wine writer and food and beverage copywriter. But yes, I have worked as a wine educator at some Napa wineries. But um, being a wine educator is a wonderful way to um, meet people from all over the world. And it's a wonderful uh, it's a wonderful way to introduce people to wine. Most people think of wine as this very kind of highbrow, high elusive um drink and concept, but in actuality, it's just fermented grape juice. But there's such a mystique behind it that people like want to know more about it. And my lot in life is to get people to um, to really kind of understand how it's made and, and, and why it's important, how it's actually shaped the world, um, where it comes from. Um, I want to make it accessible. I want to make it, I want to take the mystique and the prestige out of it and um, show that it is a very, very global industry that is for everyone, not just a very small subset and group of people. And you know, there's one more reason why we wanted to do this podcast. The Napa and Sonoma Valleys, which are adjacent to each other, is home to more than 525 wineries. And by bringing the wine tasting experience to people through this podcast, we can help the audience decide which wineries to visit. You know, Napa Valley is the second largest travel destination in California. Disneyland is the first. More than 3.5 million visitors come to Napa and Sonoma each year. So yes, we want this podcast to help people decide which wineries to visit. And for this first podcast, we chose Chateau St. Jean. And we chose this winery because they have excellent wines and it's an absolutely stunning property. Again, very authentically French. Um, and so it's kind of like a piece of 
France right in your own backyard. Um, we also chose this winery because it's in Sonoma Valley, and we wanted to demonstrate for the audience just how large and diverse this region is. Sonoma is actually three times as large as Napa, and most people don't know that. Napa is probably the more famous sibling, but uh, Sonoma is actually the original wine country and the larger of the two valleys. And so today we're going to delve into everything that this Sonoma winery has to offer. Should we get started with our wine tasting today? Absolutely. Leading today's wine tasting, as Janae already introduced, is Damon. Damon, welcome to Sip on This. Tell us a little bit about yourself. My name is Damon. Um, I've been in Stone County my whole life. Uh, grew up around wine country. I actually grew up in the Rush River Valley. Came from a small town called Guerneville. Um, I've officially been in the wine industry for about 10 years now working. I've been with Chateau St. Jean for the last three years. I've worked a couple cellar jobs, a lot of bottling lines, wine supply companies. So pretty much been around wine most of my adult life. You know, growing up around this industry, at first, I always look down upon it of like, I see too many vineyards. And I was very, very mistaken by thinking that. I did not open up my mind to something that's so amazing, so elegant, but also something you can enjoy. You know, sometimes when I'm fishing on my boat, um, when I'm going out to San Pablo Bay and just enjoying a nice cruise, or just sitting on my porch and relaxing from my hard day of work. Like it's, wine's not just something you can, you need to have at dinner. You know, the Chateau St. Jean website um, says that this winery is, quote, the quintessential Sonoma winery. This winery is really one of, if not Sonoma's first winery. And while Chateau St. Jean may be a familiar name to many people, because some of your wines are sold in retail markets, this winery has had many accolades over the years, like in 2008, your winemaker, help me with her name, Damon. Margot von Staven. Margot was named Winemaker of the Year. Additionally, one of your cabs, the Sank Sapage, which means five varietals, just marked its 25th year in production. And it was named the number one wine in the Wine Spectator Top 100 list. So tell us a little bit about Sank Sapage and just get us started on uh, Chateau St. Jean. So Sank Sapage was actually started by Margot's husband, Don. And, um, he always wanted to do something special and bring something different to the wine country. Um, by doing Saint-Sapage, we do five varietals. We do most of the five reds from the Bordeaux region. We do Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot Malbec, and Petit Bordeaux. We always do a varietal designation, of what we like to call it. It's where we do 75% or more of one wine. We always do Cabernet Sauvignon. So our 2014, which we'll be trying a little bit later today, is about 78% Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, we had a very special vintage. It was a 1996 vintage released in 1999. It won Wine Spectator's Top 100 list. We became the first Sonoma County wine to ever win the award. That sounds wonderful and super delicious. I can't wait to taste it. Um, so today is Sunday, August 19th, 2018, and it is about 60 degrees at 11.45 in the morning. So I can't wait to get started. This is how we start our days. This is our breakfast. This is our brunch in it. wine country. I love it. Um, and so let's describe the tasting experience that we're about to have, Damon. Please tell us about that. So the tasting experience we're doing today is gonna to be our morning flights and bites. We do this um, by reserve or walk-in. Uh, we do a 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock seatings for this. We're in the dining room right now of the whole historic chateau, but we do have a patio that, you know, obviously you can sit outside and enjoy some amazing views. 
Um, during this experience, we, uh, we have a total of eight wines you get to choose from. So you can choose four of those eight, which is kind of nice. We have an all whites, we have four whites and four red. On the plate, we have a Beamster Gouda, which is like a darker, more saltier Gouda. This is one that actually goes really well with bigger reds. Um, when we try the sink later, you guys will understand what I mean by that. We also have a Purple Moon, which is a white cheddar soaked in a little Cabernet Sauvignon. We also do a couple little fruits, um, strawberries, raspberries, blueberries, and a blackberry. And then we do a cinnamon bread, and the bread kind of goes, we go through it a couple times a year, just to what's more in season, what's more fresh, you know. Being here in Sonoma County, it's a big farm to table type thing, so you constantly need the fresh food there. It's a very big component for everything that we do. And what's that piece of chocolate on the plate as well? That is a dark chocolate truffle because, well, you need something sweet at the very end to enjoy. In front of us are four empty wine glasses, a water glass, and Damon brought out this cute little plate of the cheeses, the cinnamon bread, the fruits, and the chocolate. And I just can't wait to get started. Since this is episode one, Janae, it makes sense that we just focus on the four S's of, of wine tasting. Um, and it's swirling, seeing, sniffing, and sipping. And then you guys wanted to add one more, a fifth S to it. Sometimes the fifth S is spitting, so that so you can't, so you don't get too drunk. But I see most people don't do a lot of that in Napa or Sonoma, and that's quite all right. <laughs> Love it. So, David, can we get started? Yep. Great. So, describe to us the first wine that you're about to pour for us. The first wine we're going to start off with, um, due to it being around summertime right now, I actually pulled out a Pinot Gris. This is from Coal Creek Ranch. This is a wine or a vineyard that's located in the Carneros region, down south from us for about 20, 30 minutes, close to San Pablo Bay. It's got a nice coastal climate there. Um, it's a great everyday hot beach pool picnic style. Mm. We do a mostly tank fermentation on this wine. Um, we also do a little bit of a French oak barrels. We do about 8% for first fill barrels. And what we mean by first fill is um, brand new oak so you get some oaky notes into it but not a whole lot with only eight percent also we do some stainless steel barrels in this it's about five percent adds a little complexity a little richness to the wine what i hear a lot about is sometimes the double fermentation of steel and wood yeah so what you're doing with the steel and the wood um when you use steel you're bringing out for fruit forward flavors it's kind of a french thing that really started it a little bit more lighter more crisper cleaner styles of wine and then when you go into the barrel, it helps add a little complexity to it, adds a little bit more body. It gives you a little more jump on your palate. I'm swirling it right now. I usually like to leave the glass on the table while I swirl and hold the stem between a couple fingers and just press down lightly on the table and swirl. But I see you two are holding your glass up in the air, grabbing it by the stem and swirling it. Well, that's rookie versus veteran. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead, call me the rookie. That's great. No problem. <laughs> Okay, so that's the first S is swirling, and I'm looking at it. It's like this beautiful, lightly colored, um, golden color. Um, help me out, guys. Describe the color of this. I would say it is a straw color, uh, more like a blonde, um, which is not necessarily a, a an official wine term, but straw is. Um, it's a fairly deep color because of the oak aging probably. Um, and when you look at the wine itself, you're looking at, yes, the entire wine, but you're also looking at the ridges or the edge, uh, kind of like a meniscus type thing around to see if the, 
the edge of the wine is deeper in color or lighter in color, and that can give you an indication of age of the wine. Yes. So we only do about eight months of aging on this one. So it's a very quick wine that comes out into the market. Um, by swirling it, let's go back to swirling so people actually understand why you swirl. A lot of people will just do it because they say it looks fancy or you have to do it just, just because. You actually want to open up that wine when you're swirling. You're bringing in some oxygen. You're getting those molecules moving around. And by doing that, it helps you smell the fruits and some of the other stuff that's going to come off that. So that's why swirling is actually a really big part of wine tasting. So when you swirl it and then you smell it, for this one, I pick up a lot of white peach. White peach is one of the big, big fruits in this wine. So, mm. so that's why you swirl it. So and I just watched you sniff it, and you sniff wine the same way I do. Um, and it, it goes back to that movie. Um, sideways. Sideways. Where you really, I know some people love that movie. I do. Some people don't like that movie. But you know, I really do put my nose into the glass to really draw out all the aromas that I can. You said white peach. That's great. Yeah, I do get a lot of citrus on this. Mm -hmm. I get some kiwi. A little bit of banana, too. Mm, banana. That's interesting. You know, and, and, and describing wine is so subjective. It really is what you're drawing out of it from your own food experience. So, Janae, let's sip. And um, you actually took a little sip already and, I, and heard you. Yeah, that sound right there. What are you doing when you're sipping and making that sound? Drawing air into my mouth, like through my teeth. And then that way the wine can hit all parts of my mouth. And then I can detect more flavors, whether it's going to be salty, bitter, um, sweet. Um, and I can also discern a few more characteristics when I actually aerate the wine through that sucking sound, drawing air through my mouth, um, because when you oxygenate a wine or aerate it and, or introduce oxygen into the glass or to the wine itself, as Damon said, it brings those flavors and those aromas to the fore. So you have a better chance of picking out aromas and flavors when it's a little more aerated. Correct. So this Pinot Gris is a white wine. Um, it's on the lighter side of a white wine. Is it, is it sweeter? Is it crisper? Let's do our first impressions. Well, one thing we hear a lot is sweet wine. Sweet wine, it tastes sweet, it tastes sweet. The one thing I would think more people, for more people to think about is not sweetness, but fruit. Fruity. It's a more fruitier style. You know, we automatically think when we taste fruit, it's going to be sweet no matter what. We add that sugar component. Sometimes it's hard at first to start picking apart what is sweet, what is actually fruity. So with this wine, it's not more sweet, it's more fruity. So that's where you get right on the nose, you get a lot of white peach. For me, right on that palate, I get a big stone fruit. Stone fruits are like your peaches, your nectarines, anything with that solid pit in it. That's what comes out a lot for me. And it's a fruitier, lighter style wine. You can hang out at the pool. I've taken this on the Russian River and just relaxed with my girlfriend, you know, stuff like that. Like, Pairing it with food, what would you pair this uh, with? I would do a nice light salad um, or maybe an orzo salad, something mm. really easy. You can do it with some chicken with it too. It's a really just basic stuff. You want something nice and light to bring all the good aromas out of it. You don't want to go too hearty with it because if you go with a big steak or something like that, that can really hide the true flavors of this wine. 
and now that you say that, I'm thinking like a a chicken piccata that has a nice lemon capers wine sauce, but the but the um, the crispness of it would actually break through that sauce after each bite, which is mm-hmm. which is a nice palate cleanser. So the second wine I am bringing out is going to be our Le Soule Chardonnay. So Le Soule means the one and only, loosely translates to it. This is a wine that we actually get from the new AVA of Petaluma Gap. Now when we say AVA, that means American Viticulture Association. The different AVAs actually bring out different components in wines and actually some wines will grow better in different areas. For instance, Alexander Valley, which is another AVA that's really known for Cabernet Sauvignons. Cab is king up there. And so AVA, just to kind of sum it up, uh, means, it actually just means kind of unique growing region, uh, like an Appalachian. Um, like in, in places in Europe, uh, they might call them Appalachians, but here we call them AVAs or American Viticultural Areas. And they're uh, different specified regions that have different soil types or microclimates, etc. You know, our AVAs are a lot different from what the French do. The French are very, very strict on what they allow in their areas. how much new oak they can use, how much alcohol content, how long agings are going to go. Here in the United States, we're a lot more open. We're we're letting the winemakers actually work the way they want to work and let them have full range. Because when you do that, it's like with an artist. The less restriction you give people who create stuff, the more amazing things can come out of it. I agree. So with the Le Soule Chardonnay, so like I said, this is the new Petaluma Gap region. This started in AVA back in about 2016. They were very happy. Love Petaluma Gap. Yeah, so Gap's crown is the vineyard we get this from. Absolutely. It's 300 to 800 feet in elevation, so it's a colder climate. And when you go with the colder climate style Chardonnays, they're usually a bit more tropical. So on this nose, I pick up Mm, a lot of white pineapple. Mm. A lot of citrus notes, too. I pick up a little bit of cantaloupe. Mm. A lot mm. of melon notes. Yeah. A whole lot of melon, too. Petaluma Gap mm. is one of my favorite um, new AVAs. It's, it's really interesting. Um, it occupies a unique area of Sonoma. It's foggy in the morning and windy in the afternoon. And then you have the coastal influence from the San Pablo Bay, close to San Francisco, but also from the Pacific Ocean. So you have these two bodies of water kind of influencing the wine. So oftentimes you get some of that salinity and some of that brininess from the coastal air. And I actually do get some of that in this shard as well. I get a little bit of creaminess in this wine towards the back end. So the creaminess comes from a surly aging that we do on this wine. So surly aging is during the fermentation process, you have lees dyes and it falls to the bottom of the barrel. Now, or tank, wherever you're gonna actually uh, fermentate this stuff in. Usually we do barrel. We do 100% barrel fermentation. We do about 43% brand new oak on this one. So there's a lot of oaky notes on here too. Um, But during surly, what it does is the lees builds up at the bottom and you have to either take that out right away or you have to constantly kind of stir and move that wine around. If you don't, you're going to get a huge sulfur flavors and it pretty much just destroys all the wine. Now, when you start moving it, these uh, molecules and cells, they help kind of break down the wine a little bit and add a nice creamy texture to it. So it adds that 
that creamy component you're gonna get and it's just makes it more softer and just so much more enjoyable and you know i used to drink a lot of chardonnays uh a while ago um I really love the big buttery flavor of it, buttery, woodsy type of flavors to it. The trend lately has been less butter, less wood, less bold style Chardonnays. This one ha- is, is on the lighter side, Damon. Yeah, so we don't do a malolactic fermentation, and that is the process of where you get your butteriness. So that is what we always have called the California Classics, that pretty much stick of butter that's just sitting inside that glass. Yeah. We do all oak. You know, the California Classic was a lot of oak, a lot of brand new oak, and a lot of butter in there. Uh, Rombauer is a great one that does those great buttery shards. Everyone knows Rombauer. Yeah, Rombauer Wente is another good one, too. Um and you will still find them at a lot of wineries. A lot of people will always have that California classic just due to, it's amazing to have. For me, I love a good California classic when I'm eating crab. You know, mm. I spent a lot of time in San Francisco. You guys live in the city. So, you know, how Dungeness Crab is around here. Mm-hmm. That's our bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, but malolactic is a secondary fermentation that brings in that nice butteriness and that adds a little bit more body to it. The lees are the dead yeast cells that have fermented once fermentation is finished. Um, and malolactic fermentation, um, it's actually not really a fermentation. It's more like a malolactic conversion, but it actually converts the harsh malic acid that you might get in a green apple into something creamier and softer uh, with the feel of like lactic acid which you get from milk. So it makes that wine that's super crisp a little more uh, palatable by making it a little creamier. And Chardonnay is actually a Burgundian varietal, you guys. So it, it, it hails from the Burgundy region of France. Um, and over there, most people call it white Burgundy. Um, here we call it Chardonnay, but it does hail from France, but it proliferates um, in a bunch of different regions all around the world. It's considered a cool climate varietal, so it will not do well and it will not thrive in some place that's really, really hot, but some place that is cooler, wetter, um, colder, it will do very, very well. I'm ready to start the reds. All right. So with reds, we're actually going to go with something really light. Not really light, but more fruitier. This is going to go with the Pinot Noir. So we're going from the Russian River Valley. I had to bring this one out because I grew up around this valley. It's it's my home. So here, thank you. We have a nice, amazing, fruity, elegant, a lot of red fruit on this Pinot here. You're also going to get that earthy muskiness that mm. Colt Pinot fans love. This I am is. an earthy wine drinker. So am I. Now, when we say earthy, you got to think kind of a wet forest floor, almost like a little fungus. That mm. sounds super appetizing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On this one here, I pick up a lot of red fruits. Like I said, a little bit of cherry. Some strawberry in there too. Bing cherry is a big component in Pinot Noirs that are in the Russian River Valley area. It gets nice and warm during the day. You get a nice coastal fog bank that sits over those grapes at night. That's what helps bring that out a whole lot. I smell a little wood. So it's 100% barrel fermentation. Mm -hmm. Most of our wines go through all barrel fermentation except for our Pinot Grige, uh, we do have a Pinot Blanc, a Fumé Blanc, which are Sauvignon Blancs aged in oak. 
but most of the stuff, all the reds are gonna go through a barrel fermentation 100%. It's just how much of it's gonna be brand new oak versus old oak or stuff that's you know two or three years old. When you have barrels that have been sitting or have gone through two or three years, the oaky components don't come out a whole lot. And so then they become neutral oak usually around year, between year three and year five. And then at that point, um, again, like Damon said, you don't get those oaky, flavorful flavor components from the oak. You get more texture, more body. They're used for texture and body versus an oak flavor. When I think of Pinot's, Pinot Noirs, that is, because there's the Pinot Gris, which is a white wine, and then we're drinking the Pinot Noir, which is a red wine. I, I think that there's a, such a wide range of spectrum in f- terms of flavor profiles for Pinot Noirs. This one is on the um, more mild side. I don't really get a punch of, of tartness, which I would normally expect from a Pinot Noir. I'm getting a lot of earthy notes from this wine. Um, and that's probably why I like it so much, because I love Burgundian Pinot. Um, and when I think of earthy, the thing that comes to mind is not fruity, more savory characteristics. Again, Damon mentioned forest floor, um, funk, kind of like fungus. I know it sounds horribly, horribly awful, but it's actually a really interesting, cool component to a wine. So I get more earthy notes out of this, and I do get a little bit of... Um, of that Bing cherry and that um, and a little bit of mushroom as well. Mm. So it's an interesting complex wine in my opinion. And I'm holding the glass up against a white sheet of paper. I'm tilting it slightly to just pull out some of the color of it. It's a lighter red wine obviously because it's a Pinot Noir grape. Um, How would you describe this color? I would describe it as a, a garnet color. Um, garnet color going to burgundy. Um, and the edges are a light pink, which is lets us know that it's not a very old wine. So it's probably twenty between 2014 and 2016. Correct. Great. This is a wonderful, easy-to-drink wine. Yes. This is my, I would call this almost an everyday wine because this is something I'd want to drink every day at like a family meal or a meal that I'm cooking with friends because it would pair nicely with a lot whatever I want to make on the menu that night whether it's burgers with friends or if it's a steak night or even like if I'm doing um, maybe a sushi night with friends where we're making sushi at the house or something it, 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 would, it would go across a lot of uh, different food palettes there. I absolutely love Pinot because I do think it is very food friendly and it is super versatile. And I think it's a great way to get people um, interested in red wine when you meet those people who say, oh, I don't like red wine. It sucks. (laughs) This is a great way to get into red wine because it has a little bit of body, but it also um, it doesn't have flavors that are going to be super aggressive. They're lighter, they're softer, um, and it is fairly food friendly. A lot of people think that you would do uh, white wine with fish, but I love Pinot Noir with salmon. I love it with uh, sushi, as Roger just mentioned. Um, It goes well with duck. Um, It is a very versatile uh, wine, in my opinion. Just does not go well with oysters. That has been a proven theory <laughs> multiple times. I've been trying. I'm a big oyster fan, and pinots and oysters are not, they're just not, not meant to be together. 
right. Do you guys want to move on to the last one? Yeah. Absolutely. Right. The last wine we are going to be drinking today is Chateau St. Jean's flagship wine. This is Saint Sapage. Mm, look at the color the of that. Bordeaux same. blend. Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Malot, Malbec, Petit Verdot. This is, I like to always call it a party in a glass. When you have all five grapes together, it's a great party together. Um, it is a blend because when you're blending, or what they like to call a blend, um, you're putting multiple wines together by doing that. So is this a blend or is this a Cabernet? It's a little bit of both. So it will be a blend because we have all five grapes from Bordeaux region, so we blended multiple wines in, but we also do a varietal designation. Now, a varietal designation is when you do at least 75% of one grape inside your wine. We always did Cabernet Sauvignon. So this is 77% Cabernet Sauvignon in our 2014 year. Perfect. Thank you so much. Look at the color and richness and boldness of this color. For me, the more novice wine drinker, it's um, like a deep purple burgundy color. What, how would you guys describe this color? Definitely inky, um, definitely deep purple, not the band. Um, and almost like a chocolate core. Um, a beautiful, 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 rich wine. Moving toward a reddish color for the edges. Damon, how would you describe the color of this wine? She pretty much take the words right out of my mouth there. <laughs> I mean, she really knows her wine. Oh, I just can't get over the smell of it. Mm -hmm. This is a big fan for us. Um, obviously, mm. this is... It's like our little child here that we've had at Chateau St. Jean. Oh my gosh, Damon, what did you just pull out? This is a 2004 Saint Sapage. So, you know, we talked about aging wines a little bit earlier. So let's actually taste something that's 10 years difference between the wine, the two Saint Sapages. So you can see how they age and how different they are. So normally when it's the same varietal, but different years, I like to do what they call a side-by-side, -side, where I put the two glasses together and I sip one right after the other. How would you describe the 2004 color versus the 2014 color? I would say burgundy, moving toward uh, like colors in the brown family. Um, definitely has lost some color, so it's no longer that bright, fresh, reddish garnet color, but moving toward mahogany, um, burgundy, Etc. with a light, uh, light brown edge. Brown is right. Yeah, for an older wine, it usually comes across a little bit more brown. For sure. Sometimes golden, too. When you get wines that are really, really old, you start getting that, like, water texture, like, water look all the way around, where it's really clear, where it's really separated. So what do you want to taste first, the 4 or the 14? Let's taste... Let's taste the 14 up first, so you kind of see something at a younger age. It's new release. Mm -hmm. More alcohol mm -hmm. punches your nose. Yeah, it gets in there. Mm -hmm. You know, By doing this, you kind of see the difference between young to old is where you want to go for that. So with the younger wine, they get a lot, they get tight is what you're going to hear a lot in wine country. And when they say a tight wine, what they mean is it's a young, it needs to open up, it needs to age a little bit more. So that's why we're going with the 2014 first, so you kind of see and understand what that means. 
then after that, mm. let's go into the 2004. This was before I graduated high school. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's so crazy. Thanks, Damon. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Damon. <laughs> then you can see how it's opened up more. There's not... It's big, but not dominating. More succulent to me. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. The When you do these side by side, you are getting two completely different flavor profiles as expected. You get a lot of uh, bright, fresh red fruit, um, and a, actually a healthy amount of dark fruit, because we're actually talking about the syncopage, but um, a lot of dark fruit uh, with the 2014 syncopage, but the 2004 syncopage, I get a lot more savory characteristics. I get some olive tapenade, I get some almost meaty flavors, which is very interesting. So that that freshness of fruit has actually subsided and fallen by the wayside a bit. Mm -hmm. Mm. Which does not mean that this wine is not good by any means. It is absolutely really, really, really excellent. For the Sang we actually bring out a Beamster Gouda on this plate. Mm. And this Gouda's got a lot of salt on it. So it kind of helps break it down. It makes it, it breaks the tannins down a little bit. Also that helps break the salt down a little bit. They mellow each other mm. out. It's a great, great pairing. It's, I can explain it until your ears bleed, but this is something you just need to come up and try for yourself personally. Mm. Um, oh yeah. Delicious. It almost has a, a green characteristic to it. Almost like an herbal note, uh, maybe a hint of like either mint or eucalyptus, but literally just a hint. It's almost imperceptible. Um, I, that also could have come from the blackberry that I just ate. <laughs> um, but I also get a lot of what Roger described as um, as some dark fruits like dark 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 black dark cherries dark uh plums some blackberries some boysenberries brambly fruits is what we call those um and i actually still get that kind of herbal note as well which adds a really kind of interesting layer of complexity to the wine gives it a more savory characteristic versus fruity damon this is would you call this your flagship wine here at Chateau St. Jean? Hands down. This is our flagship wine. And this is a must drink, I think. Mm -hmm. I think if you're going to come here to Chateau St. Jean, Saint Sapage is a must drink. So make sure you include that in during your wine tasting experience. Saint Sapage, would you drink that now or would you let it age? I would actually let this one age. It's not a bad wine now. Don't get me wrong. This is something you can enjoy from now and definitely... In about 10 to 15 years, someone's really going to highlight it. I have some uh, 05, 06, and 2008 stuff that I'm getting ready to open up soon. and That's when it starts hitting its peak, when it's really, really enjoyable. This wine tasting offers four wines. We did the Pinot Gris, the Chardonnay, we did the Pinot Noir, and we did the Saint-Sapage. Gosh, I, I always mess it up, Damon. Saint-Sapage. <laughs> there you go. Um, Damon, is there a wine that you guys produce here at Chateau St. Jean that 
I must have? Or what is your favorite wine here that you think I need to sip? Sadly, there is a wine here. We <laughs> just are sold out right now. No. So from the Lasul Valley, there's a Pinot Noir that we do. And this is hands down one of my favorites. It's nice and lighter than the Russian River that you had, but it's got a lot of fruit components. Uh, we've been to Lasul Vineyards for about three years now. Or, sorry, uh, with the Gaps Crown Vineyard for about three years now. Um, we source from all over Sonoma County, but what Gaps Crown is doing right now with the Pinot Noirs and the Chardonnays is out of this world. Um, so once the Lasul Pinot comes out again, I highly recommend a trip up here as soon as you can to get it because it is moving faster than anything I've ever seen move in the wine industry. Mm. Wow. I am so excited to taste that. And on the bar, you've also put um, a Syrah, a Merlot, and a Malbec. Is there one of those wines that we just must try, must sip, that has different character profiles than something that we've tasted already? Yes. I'm actually going to pull out the Merlot because Roger here talked about Sideways earlier. And <laughs> Sideways, uh, for Paul Giamatti's little 10 to 15 second, I will not drink Merlot. He didn't quite say it like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep it PG to keep my job. <laughs> um, Merlots are amazing wines. They really are. And people are missing out big time on Merlots. I've had some delicious, top-notch Merlots from this region, from the Napa and Sonoma region. They're absolutely wonderful. They are soft and they add wonderful texture to the wine. If you go to a lot of wineries in Napa, and you know Napa is where cab is king, a lot of people blend in Merlot to the cabs so that the wine can have more finesse to it, a softness and elegance um, that they might not get if they were just doing a cab alone wine. Um, and just so you guys know, Merlot actually comes from, uh, it's a Bordeaux varietal, uh, but it's very popular in Bordeaux on the right bank of, Mer of, uh, of Bordeaux, not left bank. So this guy right here, I'm doing a quick, a quick rinse on the glasses. Never rinse your wine glasses out with water. So this is going to go, I'm going to go a little tutorial real quick. Um, when you're going up in body, so if when you go from a light body to a full body one, you don't have to rinse your glasses per se. The bigger wines will dominate flavors on that. Um, if you were to go to, from a bigger body wine to a lighter body wine, do not rinse with water. This is a big thing people do all the time, and it's not your fault. A lot of people just aren't educated on it. When you rinse with water into wine glasses, you are breaking down the whole level, the whole body of the wine destroys a lot of stuff in it so just wanted to go over that one real quick just a, there's a reserve merlot thank you oh this is a reserve merlot what does reserve mean usually aged longer in barrels um hand selected uh with our reserve merlot margot actually tests all the lots she's the one who tastes all the lots to see what's going to get blended into it what's going to make it amazing um and that's what reserve is they're more they're taken care of more. We age them for about two years inside a barrel before we actually blend the couple uh, vineyards that we use for this one. And then we'll age for another year inside the bottle. So after bottling, a lot of bottles will go through bottle shock. So what it is is they've been moved around a lot. 
there's too much going on. It's not going to be an amazing wine. You just need to let it rest a little bit after that, after bottling. So that's why we always wait about a year before we release it. I just can't get over the smell of this mm. one. It's got a lot of blackberry on it. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's, it's a nice, a little bit more than a medium plus body, I would say. This is robust, yet still gentle on the back end. So when I say back end, I mean, what's my first impression and what's my second impression in that one sip? It's got a nice mellow finish, is what I like to say. Mm. I just, I can't get over Merlots. I absolutely love these wines. Merlots are making a big comeback now. Um, obviously, Wine Spectator just showed it by making Duckhorn one of their, their three palms Merlot, the uh, top wine of the world. So I think that right there is a big step up for people to go back and actually start enjoying these wines again. This place is really affordable. We want to make this wine accessible to everybody. We also want people to come here, enjoy it, and not have to worry about you know, giving away their whole paycheck and stuff like that. We want to be able to reach everybody. We do have some higher end stuff, but for the most part, we like people even once in a while to come here, buy a bottle and enjoy it here on the property. You know, we do buy the glass too. And, you know, by keeping them in the mid marker levels where everybody can enjoy them, you just, you hit more people. When I drove onto the property, I just, I'm, I'm passing vineyards, um, both my left and right. And, and, and the distance is a beautiful, mountain range um, but then actually when I walked onto the property some beautiful architecture here you have a couple you have a beautiful tower you have a beautifully manicured uh, garden here a couple gardens and then you walked me around and I was so touched by the cuteness of this wonderful rose garden tell me about this property and how and how it's so well manicured so when you first drive up to Chateau St. Jean, we are a little bit further back from the road than most wineries. Um, so we have a nice long driveway because we have a lot of vineyards right up front. You start driving up this long driveway, you get past the gates, I have two amazing palm trees in it. Um, you get the first view of the Chateau, which is just amazing to see. You have the Grand Lawn in front of it, and then to the left you see this mag enormous magnolia tree just hanging out there. and. Um, once you get up into the driveway and you know you get to the parking lot, you start walking into our garden, our main garden. Um, we do have the rose garden, like Roger was talking about. Um, it's a beautiful place for you to hang out during the day and grab a glass of wine or you know a bottle of wine and a cheese board and just hang out. Um, we do have some winer or weddings that come up here and they like to use that for the ceremony because it's just. It's more impactful. It's smaller, you know. More intimate. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, then, you know, to the right, as you're walking through the gardens, we have our beautiful uh, production facility, which has the tower that he was talking about. Um, we have our administrative buildings in there. And, you know, this is all stuff that was built in the late 60s, early 70s, you know, when the winery was first just getting started. You know, this was originally a private residence, you know. This wasn't a winery right off the bat. You know, when the Goff family was here, they had walnut trees all over. So that was their big thing here. Um, they're the ones who sold it off to the Sheffield family, and they're the ones who started turning it into the winery, you know. And we are Chateau St. Jean because we named it after one of the female buyers here, her name was Jean. So that's, you know, we went to an American woman as our name. Um, very easy to confuse for Chateau St. John. You know, it's 
probably confused at least 50 to 60 percent of the time of the people that come in here i've always called you that chateau saint john i'm sorry hey it's okay a lot of people don't know the history and it's it's not your fault we took a french name french two words and then put an american word right at the end of it so what do you expect Absolutely. well two words i would describe this place the first word is definitely romantic and the other one is charming definitely charming beautiful view beautiful view we do have a bocce ball court we have picnic areas um do you have to be a member to eat at the to, to use the picnic areas and use the bocce ball court nope everything is open up to the general public right now so you know please come on up any day of the week we're always here we're always happy to see you you know we do have a regular introductory type style tasting that's just our welcome to chateau saint jean tasting you sit at the bar and you get some face time with some amazing wine educators there we also do a classic style tasting which this is more stand up at the high boys inside the tasting room um, where you can actually get some real real one-on-one time and you go over four different wines with uh, some amazing hosts there and then you know where I hang out a lot on the weekends is the, the reserve tasting which is what we're doing right now you know we do a morning bites which is 10 and 11 then we do some um, tapenades and cheeses from 12 to 4 you know so come on up we're open up to the general public everybody's invited like come up let's have some fun and let's taste some wine I've, I've read about that escape room in the news. It's the first escape room in wine country. We call it Unlock the Chateau. So you actually get to start off in the historic chateau. So when you're doing the unlock, you're upstairs and you just get to see and experience old style California in the 1920s. And you know, I don't want to go too much into the escape room of what you're actually going to be doing in there because that's part of it. Um, but it's a great experience. Um, you have an amazing host up there. You're going to have a lot of fun and you do get to drink during it. So that's another <laughs> great, great component. And there'll be amazing wines to go with it. We also will do a full private tasting with you after. So you can actually, you know, after you have some fun with your friends, you actually get to hear about these amazing wines we have. And we can go through the history of the winery here and stuff like that. This is a great place. If you'd like to visit Chateau St. Jean, which I recommend, their address is 8555 Sonoma Highway in the Kenwood part of Sonoma Valley, and their phone number is 707-257-5784, and their website is chateausaintjean.com. Damon, thanks so much for uh, hosting us today and educating us and being such a great ambassador for Chateau St. Jean. You did a great job. Thank you for having me. And thank you guys for listening. Um, we really appreciate you listening. And if you want to do us a favor, it would be great if you like us so much that you subscribe to Sip on This. Janae, you know, it's time to depart this beautiful winery, but we're heading straight to Napa right after this tasting to record our second episode of Sip on This. We're going to go about 24 miles to the south and east from here to a place that is popular not only for its Cabernets, but also for its Pinot Noirs. So as Janae said, please subscribe to our podcast, Sip on This. I'm Roger Chung. And I'm Janae Gaither. Thanks for listening. Cheers, guys. Cheers. This is such a great place. Beautiful. Hey, it's Roger Chung from the Sip on This podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new about Napa Valley Wines. Please remember to subscribe to the Sip on This podcast so you'll receive every new episode. And check us out at our website, 
sipondis.org, where you'll see pictures from the wineries we visited, and you can ask us questions which we'll answer during an episode. Until the next podcast, live peacefully, productively, and deliciously. Cheers. Cheers.